Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Visit PeteChapman.com to get your official podcast merch. Hoodies, hats, jackets, mugs, and other swag. And learn more about your host. All right, people. Welcome to episode 60 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. This is the season four finale. We welcome five other amazing directors in our first ever high production value roundtable. All season long, we have had conversations only and solely with directors. Uh, obviously, multi-hyphenates, but people who could really speak to the art of directing, speak to their craft, the challenges, the life, the journey, the psychology, the technique, all of that. I'm going to do a little go back through the season four archives. We started with former two-term DGA president, Mr. Paris Barclay. We followed that up with our conversation with Reggie Rock Bythewood, then Garrett McNamara, Anya Adams, Mo Marable, Princess Monique Films, Jonathan Judge, Allison Liddy Brown, Bola Ogun, and then the five directors that I will mention momentarily. I will say, it's been pretty lovely getting back out into the world and finding out how many people are actually listening to the podcast. I was at a at a acting workshop for directors through the directors peer group executive committee at the academy, the TV academy, and we worked with about 40 or 50 different actors from SAG and from the actors peer group. And it was really dope to hear people say, hey, I tune in, I listen, I watch, I love this episode, I love that one. And that's rewarding because, you know, we do this on our own free time. We put it together with love. I got to shout out my, my team, my producer, Tristan Nash, who also edits, my assistant producer, Jada George, who puts together the background on all the interviewees and writes up the show notes every week with the time so you can click along and find out what happens when if you are you know trying to cherry pick what you want to hear which I hope you're not and of course my talented wife Kelly McCreary who is our announcer and you hear her at the top of every podcast and throughout when we're promoting my book transitions and whatnot so you know much love and thank you and thanks to those three folks who really help make this happen week to week to y'all who listen and spread the word and I kindly ask that you continue to do so. You know, this will close out season four, but I've been getting some really lovely DMs from some very, very big Academy-nominated, Emmy-nominated directors and, and talent who are interested in being on the pod. So season five, we will bring that to you. And again, like this is all done with love. We have no endorsements. We do it because we want to share the fuel that keeps all of us engaged and persistent on this journey of telling stories. So without further ado, I'll get to our roundtable guests for our final episode of season four today. I will say that we recorded this on, what's the date? What I guess it was the 25th. I'm not sure, but it was a Saturday after Thanksgiving. So I got to give a shout out to these five people just 
getting on a computer with me at 10 a.m. on Saturday with Turkey in their system, family in the other room, but still a desire to share their journey with y'all. So in no particular order, I'll give you our returning guest for the roundtable. We have Anya Adams, who you heard in episode 54. We have Jeff Bird, who you heard in episode 41. We have Carl Seaton, who you heard in episode 26. And rounding out the other two people are Monique Jola Evans and Daniel L. Willis, whom you will get to meet now. But I'll go ahead and give you a, a proper introduction just so you can hear who everybody is. We have Monique Jola Evans. She's from Washington, D.C. She has an M.A. in Film Studies from the American University and B.A. Communications from Prairie View A&M. She's a director, writer, and producer known for The Neighborhood, iCarly, Family Reunion, and Raven's Home. She transitioned into directing scripted TV after an impressive career producing entertainment and docuseries for MTV, BET, NBC, OWN, TNT, TV1, and PBS. Jeff Bird, Brooklyn, New York. Education, BA in Communication and Media Studies from Ramapo College of New Jersey. Jeffrey W. Bird is an American film director, producer, and screenwriter. Once a protege of Spike Lee, Bird is known for 17 Again, Black Lightning, Dynasty, Our Kind of People, and he currently serves as the producing director on Yellow Jackets, which is entering its third season. Daniel L. Willis, hailing from Chicago, B.A., English from University of Missouri-Columbia, and M.S. Cinema Production from DePaul University. Daniel Willis is a director and writer best known for Grey's Anatomy, Boomerang, 20s, and Chicago Fire. He made his TV directorial debut on The Blacklist, episode 603. Carl Seaton, hailing also from Chicago, Illinois, Southern Illinois University educated, Columbia College of Chicago educated as well. He's a director best known for his work on One Week, his feature film from 2000, which was what put him on my radar, Snowfall, Open and Batwoman. His TV director debut was first back in 2014. And lastly, Anya Adams, educated at the University of Victoria in British Columbia in psychology, a handy tool for a director. She's a Canadian American director best known for The Mayor, Blackish, Ginny and Georgia, and Yellow Jackets. She made her feature film directorial debut with Disney's Prom Pact in 2023. So, Enough about them and enough about me. Y'all know who I am. Let's dive into episode 60 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Roll sound. Speed. The interview. Take one. All right. So this is the first round table ever on Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. All directors, all friends, I will I will put that up front. It's not like I don't know these people. These are good, talented people who I trust with my life. And I figure the one question I have prepared for this thing, particularly because I know there are people who maybe don't know what it's like to move through our worlds in pursuit of the job. Rather than me introduce y'all, I wonder if you can give me the 30 to 60, even 90 second thing that you say in a meeting that is, this is who I am and, and how I got to be in this seat trying to get this job. 
because I feel like that would be uh, pretty dope. And I can throw mine out, or y'all can yeah. y'all can start. You go you know, first. You go th- first. I throw mine yeah. out. Okay. So it's usually some combination of you know where I'm from, when I picked up a camera. So for me, that was in high school in New Jersey. I had a I had a high school f- film teacher that went to NYU, and all these anecdotes were you know when I was at NYU, when I was at NYU, and so being 16 years old and only having picked up a Super 8 camera, I figured you'd go to NYU. And then I saw who those alum alumni were, and it was Spike, and it was Scorsese, and it was Oliver Stone and Chris Columbus. And I said, that'll work for me. And so my thing was to always be a director, but I started writing so I'd have projects to direct. I started producing so I could logistically coordinate those projects and I started acting in those projects because I knew that as a good producer, that would be one less mouth to feed. And my focus was always to tell stories about Black people who, from what I was seeing, were often on the periphery. And on top of that, I wanted to try and find different ways to approach it through genre and genre blending. And so, you know, over time, I, I, I made a thesis film that went to Sundance starring Kerry Washington raised half a million dollars to make my first feature with Zoe Saldana and Dorian Missick and Hill Harper, a romantic dramedy. And then I spent the next 10 years trying to break in TV, break into TV. And my focus was on half hour single camera comedies because I wanted to do everything and thought, let me show I can tell the joke first and then try and transition to drama. And then in 2017, I got my first episode and slowly have carved and clawed my way to, uh, this place where I am now. So that's that was freestyle, but that's more or less what it is. Anybody can offer or I can be like, how about you? <laughs> I'll go. Yeah. So this is Mornique. Hi, everyone. Yes, Mornique, Jola Evans. So I started as a journalist. I'm from the D.C. area. I started kind of in the footsteps of my mom, who was also a journalist. She used to write for the AP, et cetera, et cetera. And this was in the 90s, and I was finding myself inspired by films that were breaking out and realizing, okay, we can tell these stories, but also feeling like my stories as a Black person, as a Black woman, I didn't see on television. So I co- I had a career. I walked, worked at the Washington Post. You know, I covered the Hill, and I just was like, I'm quitting, and I'm going to film school. So I was in D.C., and it was the last minute, so I went to American University and got my master's in film, took courses at Howard. My first Hollywood film was Deep Impact. I did any film that came into the DC area. Yeah, it was amazing. And my first television job was on Rap City. So wow. I did my short film. It it got it aired on stars. It was well received by Tribeca, along with you know, being a writer first. Uh, I wrote some scripts that got really close in Tribeca All Access. I was in Projects Involved New York and was doing a career kind of in music television and then cut to 06. Got married and started a new life out in LA because I was like, I don't want to have any regrets. I had only been like tiptoeing around directing and I was like, let's like really push for it. And I came here and had to start at the bottom and driving cars for artists that I had uh, produced or show run. And working my way up in this business. And it took me until 2019 
I got my first opportunity to direct a multicam series from a showrunner, Meg Deloach, who had been following my career. And I didn't know multicam, so I had to learn it. <clears throat> but I was like, I'm not going to miss out on this opportunity. You know, this is my first one to get in. And that was in 2019. Since then, I've done over 35 episodes of television. I think my biggest year was 2021. I think it's 2021 or 22. Now it's a blank. I did 17 episodes of television. So I do multicam, single cam comedy, and one hour. I'm about to borrow some money from you. <laughs> this strikes and this COVID, like, you know, I had to catch back up. I'll go, I'll go next because I have a little journalism connection. I'm from, I'm from Chicago, born and raised on the South side of Chicago. I went off to journalism school at the university of Missouri, where I quickly found that I didn't like asking people questions. It gave me a lot of anxiety. So I knew that wasn't the career path. So I, I found the arts through theater. So performance and then really performance only to kind of improve my writing. And then that turned into film when I started adapting some of my 10 minute plays into short, short films. So that's kind of where I got the bug. After that, I went back to Chicago, ended up at film school at DePaul University. I had convinced myself I wanted to be a high school teacher and I was all set to like start my education master's program. And then a week before I kind of tipped my tip my toes over into the film school over there just because I was curious and I didn't quite have the courage to apply to film school right away. But once I saw everybody in action, that was enough to kind of push me in that direction. So I, I changed my, my degree program and I focused on film uh, at DePaul. That brought me out to Los Angeles. I came out here to do an internship at Will Smith's company, which was a great introduction to Hollywood. I bounced around production companies and studios, working for executives, kind of learning the business. Eventually, I got my first job in television on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, I was a writer's assistant. I was a showrunner's assistant. I started off as a writer's PA. So really kind of learning television through the writer's office, which I feel like kind of helps uh, directors a lot in a, in a specific way. But I was always kind of sneaking over to set and uh, informally shadowing all of the, the directors, even Pete. When Pete was shadowing, I was trying to shadow Pete as a shadow, um, <laughs> just trying to like learn as much as I could back then. And then eventually I was able to make something on my own, which I could take over to the, the first class producer and legend that is Debbie Allen. And she looked at my project and she became my advocate. And I, I got a chance to shadow on that show. I did some of the fellowships as well. And I got my first episode on Grays, and that turned into the blacklist. And we've been going ever since. Yeah, that's dope. Oh, I should, I should maybe ask, because I know for people watching, they'll track it. But maybe before we dive in, we're like, oh, this is Jeff. Or this. So that was Dan Willis for the, for the, for the listeners. And the journeys are amazing. So who, who wants to hop in next? Let me hop in. Since there's a Chicago connection now, since we're playing Texas. <laughs> going on. I'm, I'm, my name is Carl Seaton. I'm from Chicago. My journey started, man, with, with Spike Lee. You know, seeing Do the Right Thing. I, I've loved movies and TV shows before, but you never think about making them. And then I saw Do the Right Thing, and I said, this is transforming. I said, I got to, I want to do what he does. And I know the difference between a director or a producer. So... That's it. I said, well, let me pick up his books. He has all, he wrote all these books based off after every film. So by the time Do the Right Thing came out, he had three books out. So I went and grabbed all those books. And in his first book, he wrote based off of he, She's Gotta Have It. He says, you know, you gotta write, create jobs for yourself, film school, and so forth. So I started, I went to film school at Columbia College. 
I uh, wrote, uh, I started writing, started studying the craft of directing. So, okay, this is, this is where it is. The lane for me is directing and so forth. So that kind of started my journey doing ultra, ultra low budget content. You know, this is back in the day where you didn't have, you know, digital wasn't really popping. So you had super 16 and 16 millimeter cameras. So you really were pretty much, you know, scrambling to make your projects together. So uh, writing steadily, did a low budget feature film, won some awards for that. Use that to transition out to LA. Got out to LA, got into the grind of everything like that. Started meeting cool people. And uh, that's when I, I, got, I got a job as a director's assistant on a TV show. And uh, that exposed me to episodic television, the pace of it, the budget of it, you know, the crew and things of that nature. Fell in love with it. I said, yo, this is where it's at. And it's also kind of parallel with, this is when TV started to grow and started to, its storytelling started to expand where it was starting to be competitive with the film. So I said, I think this is going to be the lane for me. So I started pursuing episodic television. Shout out a lot of different directors, some amazing directors, some not so amazing directors, and uh, didn't get my opportunity for it. It took me about a decade to get my shot. And my shot came from John Singleton. He hired me to do two episodes of his show, Rebel. And I uh, did those two episodes, and that got me, got me going in episodic, which led to Chicago PD and the originals, and from there on, been going ever since. So like Monique, I, I think I've... I met, that's, that was 2017 when Rebel came out. Um, I think I, I'm at 42 or 43 episodes. I, I had to count, I think 42 or 43 episodes now. So it's been nonstop since then, especially, you know, after the pandemic. So uh, yeah, storyteller, but that, that's, the, that's the journey in a nutshell, in a nutshell. Can I say one thing? I, I met Carl, like right after, I think you had just done Rebel and you were about to do Chicago PD. And like, as a kid from Chicago, I, at that point, I was still just trying to figure it out. But I saw Carl get those episodes and be able to go back to Chicago and do a big show like Chicago mm-hmm. PD. And that was like super inspirational for me. I was like, okay, that's what's up. I feel like this thing can happen. I remember that. Yeah, that's what's up, man. Yeah. Jeff, are you gonna go? You want me to go? You want me to go? Okay, I'll go. I mean, you know, I'll go. <laughs> yeah. So I started out, my name is Jeff Bird. What's up, Brooklyn? Peace. Um, <laughs> I started out as, I started out working with Spike. So I worked with Spike Lee. I worked on, well, basically, okay, so real quick in a nutshell, I'll do it fast. I'll, I'll use my Brooklyn speak and I'll do it really quick. It basically, all started out because of my, my father. My father, my father is, you know, he's, he's from like the military, he's from North Carolina, which I'm in North Carolina right now because it's the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, 2023. Happy Thanksgiving. For those of you watching this in, 2050 and 2070. This is 2023 <laughs> Thanksgiving. And my dad is military trained. And I, whenever you say something to my dad, he, you know, takes it literally. So to say, oh, I'm going to be there at two o'clock. He's like, oh, you're being at two o'clock. So he's very much so, man, your word, word, you know, your word is your bond kind of, th- kind of person. And I remember I said to my dad, we watched TV. I said, oh, I want to do that. He's like, what? So I saw a guy with a camera and they looked cool to me. I said, oh, I want to do that. I was a little kid. And my dad remembered that. And as life went on, me and my dad, before these dreadlocks, my dad, we used to go get haircuts together down at Astor Place in New York, in downtown. And one day we were walking by a set after finishing getting a haircut. We were walking by a set and my dad said, hey, didn't you say you want to do this whole TV thing, movie thing? I was like, yeah. He said, well, go over there and talk to somebody on the crew and get a job. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you see the people go over and talk to somebody. I was like, dad, I'm not going to go do that. He's like, yeah, yeah, I was in high school. He's like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. No. He said, I'm going to sit on the stoop and read my paper until you go over there and do that. And literally sat there for about an hour. And I figured, you know, he's really not going to move. 
So I, I saw the only <laughs> black guy on set. There was one black guy working on the set. And I said, well, let me talk to him. And it's so funny when I tell that story, all the white people's faces go, you know, like, why are you just talking to the black guy? You could have talked to the white people. But I literally had that question after me one day. That's a whole other story. You made the, you made the right so choice. I, but, you know, <laughs> I got to get my fan. So I do you know, Pete. So I went over and talked to the guy. His name was Charles Houston, and he was Spike Lee's gaffer. He said, look, I'm shooting. These are pickups for a Woody Allen movie. So I can't hire you on this. And as, but here's a phone number, 48 on a Mule. We're about to start a new Spike Lee movie. Call them, and they're taking interns. So I was like, okay, bet. So, well, I didn't say bet. That wasn't the word there. I was just like happy. And I went, went over to my dad, and I was like, look, I got a phone number. He's like, okay, cool. So folded up the paper. He said, we're going to call the first thing in the morning. We, that's exactly what we did. So 6 a.m. came around. You know, my dad gets up at like 6, 5 a.m. So we got up, doing his thing. So 8 a.m. came around. It's like, okay, make that call. So made the call. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can come down. Da, 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 da. And, you know, and I thought it was an interview. So I wear a big old three-piece Sunday best suit. And I go down there in my suit. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to get this in. I'm going to get this job. And when I get there, all I see is people moving around. Oh, you, what are you, intern? Yeah, grab that box. Come with me. So I'm literally working in my suit. I go down to the basement, and then Monty Ross is in there, and there's 22 other interns down there. It was amazing. It was like amazing. So I worked a whole day in my suit. Everybody laughed at me, but I literally was the happiest person ever to be like in some place and carrying boxes and getting coffee and cleaning this off and doing that thing. And I got to work on Mobile Blues, Jungle Fever, Malcolm X, and all the music videos and commercials in between. So it was like the Denzel, you know, Wesley years. It was the, the, the Denzel years. And also the, the Michael Jordan years, because we were doing all those commercials in between. I met George Tillman and Bob Title. We're in Chicago. That's his connections in Chicago. We were doing one of the Spike, one of the Spike and Mike commercials. So I met, met them there. We were all lacing up sneakers. We had to lace up literally like a thousand pair of sneakers. So all the PAs were lacing up a thousand pairs of sneakers and making, building this big sneaker pyramid. And then after the shoot was over, we had to take all the sneakers and take all the laces out. And it was really interesting, but I loved every second of it. From there, I started directing music videos because everybody thought, friends of mine got record deals. They thought, well, Jeff, you work for Spike, you can direct a video. So that's what I did. They were like, here. And I was like, okay. So, and I said, Spike, should I do it? And he's like, yeah, do it. You need some equipment downstairs in the basement. And, you know, I got all the equipment from Spike's office that I could. And I started directing these videos on the weekend. And he would make the crew you know, work for me on the weekends for free. He'd be like, listen, Jeff's doing a video. You guys should work with Jeff. So I would, you know, hire this crew. So it was kind of crazy. Um, and from there, I moved to L.A. because I met F. Gary Gray. He said, you should come out to L.A. And I was like, man, L.A.'s been sell out. I'm going to go to L.A. I'm from Brooklyn. And sure enough, you know, his company called and they were like, well, you got to come out. And I was like, ah, I'll come out for six months. And I never left. Okay, I thought I was going to come for six months and I never left Los Angeles. And I lie and sometimes tell friends, yeah, I'm going to move back to New York. I'm never going to move back to New York. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Yeah, I can't do it. It's too hard. And I won a you know, film festival. I did a bunch of videos. Then I saw the video bubble about the burst. And I, I shot a short film on like in between one of my music videos that took that money and plunked it into the short film. It won a bunch of awards. And then I decided that I did like a feature, an independent feature or two. And I was really motivated. Once again, the connection's here, motivated by Carl Seaton's film, One Week. He did this film called One Week, and it was showing. And I had had some films. I did my short film, One American Black Film Festival, and I did another film that had one. But I saw One Week when, when Carl's film was there. And then I was like, oh, 
man, I'm de- I've been doing crap all this time. I could have been doing this. And it was just, it was just an amazing film. If I recommend people see it because it's cinematically the way he did that film and the way it, it really attacks your subject. I mean, everybody, I literally look at all the squares and I can literally pick a project from everybody's face here that influenced me. And, but one week really kind of, you know, made me realize what, oh, you can do with the medium if you really, you know, let loose and cut loose. So then I had to start to, focus on TV because I knew the music video bubble was going to burst. And I was like, okay, let me, let me focus on TV. Let me see what I can do there. And I had my first TV gig from Felicia Henderson, who did, who was a creator and showrunner of Soul Food this year on Showtime. And I did about in the five seasons that Showtime was on the air. And I got that because of Boris Kojo. Boris Kojo and I are a really good friend. And he kept bothering her to have me direct an episode. And I didn't come on board till the second season. And they had written in the first season. And he was like, oh, you should hire Jeff. You should hire Jeff. And she finally did. And I ended up doing about from the second season to the fifth season, I ended up doing like 23 episodes, 23, 24 episodes. I think I did the most episodes of any American director. I think it's between me and Oz. But I think I beat Oz out by one episode. And that kind of started me off. And I did the random gamut of different shows, uh, much like Carl, doing shows like The Originals and I did Rebel. I did the right after Carl. I did the the uh, finale block of two episodes of Rebel, and it's been an up and down career. And you know, because there's 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 a boom time, and then there's the valley, and there's the peak. And you know, so I had the valleys and the peaks, and now I'm kind of on a peak. I'm on Yellow Jackets for Showtime. I'm a producing director on that, so I'm co EP slash director on that show. So that's me in a nutshell, Pete Chapman. All right. All right. And okay, last but outlier. not least, uh. <laughs> this is the outlier. I have no connection because I'm from Canada. I, you know, my mom was a doctor and I loved what she did. She was, did a lot of counseling and therapy. And so I went to school for psychology. I thought I was going to be a psychologist. And then one year, this group called Up With People came to my college and I decided to travel with them. They were an international students group. They traveled around the world. They did a two hour live show. And they stayed in host families and they did community service everywhere they went. So I jumped on that traveling circus and moved up to the ranks through that. I, I was a recruiter. I was a production manager. I was a company manager. and did all that stuff. And then it, it was a nonprofit. And by the time I got to company manager, it started to falter because nonprofits have a hard time staying solvent a lot. And so I was looking around for something to do. And because I'd been in performance and really enjoyed it, I thought, I want to I want to get into film and television. And I started kind of looking around online, like, what could I, what job could I do? And I found the assistant director job. That was what kind of resonated with what I was doing at the time. I was, you know, a company manager. I've been a production manager. So I just kind of understood that cadence. So I applied for the DGA trainee program. There were two at the time, and there's still two now. One was in New York, one was in LA. I applied for both. I got into the LA program. And so... I came to LA and the first show that I worked on as a DGA trainee was Malcolm in the Middle. And the last show I worked on was CSI Miami or CSI. And then basically CSI Miami was starting and I got a job on CSI Miami. So I got to work with David Caruso and I worked on that show and moved up on that show. Typically, I think those of you that are listening may or may not know this, but as you work through, as you start in an industry, you usually move around to a bunch of different shows and kind of create contacts and do a lot of different kind of genres and get experience in a bunch of different kind of producing arenas. 
I moved up and won. So I started on CSI Miami as a second second and moved up to a first AD on that show and then realized I had to hmm. leave or I wasn't going to be able to kind of get any other work in any other kind of company. So I, I made the jump and went to the Mindy Project because I really enjoyed comedy. And once I got there, I decided, I, I started thinking about what, what, what am I going to do after first AD? And one of the things, once I started kind of drilling down what I enjoyed, because I loved being on the set, was I really enjoyed the creative part of the AD work, which is setting background, working, you know, through the script, trying to create an environment so that the, the story can unfold. And, and so I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can pursue directing. And at the time, Mindy Kaling was really generous with people and was giving them opportunities to direct. So I, I approached her and said, hey, I'd like to direct. And we had a great working relationship. And she said, cool, what have you done? And I was like, shit, I haven't done anything. So maybe I should do something. <laughs> and at the time, I actually was being courted by Blackish because that was just about to start. And so when I was interviewing for that show, I specifically said I'd like to direct. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. We want you. You know, we'll consider it. And, you know, through my work and relationships with Kenya Barris and the folks on Blackish towards the second year of my time there, I was able, I got my first episode to direct. So my path didn't go through school. Like all of you freaking schooled people, I like scrappied it up in terms of coming into the directing world. So I got my first episode of directing Blackish and had intended to return to the show and get another episode and continue ADing and kind of slowly move into directing. But once we went into hiatus after I'd done my first episode, I got offered a show that was being shot on YouTube Red. And so I decided to take the jump. They were paying like, I think the, the fee was $11,000 an episode. I got two episodes. It was like way less than I'd ever made. But because someone was going to pay me to do the job that didn't know me, but, you know, saw me and interviewed me, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to take the jump. So I did. And, and it just kind of steamrolled from there. I mean, one of the things I like to tell people is I, I really let everyone know I wanted to direct and I really made an effort to show I was trying to learn. And, and so as I, as I got the opportunity on YouTube Red, another opportunity came up from somebody I'd spoken to who was show running. So I got to do the mayor and speechless and fresh off the boat. And so basically my first year of directing, directing, I did about five episodes, which was very successful in my mind because I, it just, I just kind of kept working, which was really helpful because as we all know, work begets work here in this industry. So that's me now. Working. So that, so every, what I love, I mean, I think it, you know, the, there's like pros and cons to the education way. There's pros and cons to the scrappy way. But I think like the principles yeah. that we all probably move by or why we're all on this call, right? You mentioned, I think, Dan, you mentioned there were, uh, you shadowed some good directors, you shadowed some yeah. bad. Like, I'd love to get everyone's, I don't know if you, if there were like one or two things that that kind of jump out to you as like signs of of bad directing. And you can take that as you want. But I, 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 I'm, I'm of the mind, like, when I'm trying to get into something, I always want to know like what not to do. You know what I mean? Like if I, it, like if I go like, you know, if I'm looking at a recipe, I got to be like, yo, but how do I like really fuck this up? I don't want to do that. So like what jumps out to y'all in that, in that, 
in the spirit of that kind of guidance? What I've learned, like I said, I've definitely shadowed some amazing directors and I'm, I shadowed some not so amazing directors. The, the, the biggest lesson I learned from the not so amazing ones was a lack of preparation. I mean, they would literally show up, hadn't really read the script, didn't really understand the story arcs, didn't understand the character's background, hadn't really watched the show. And they get exposed at every turn, you know, and the actors yeah. who have been living with these characters know these characters inside and out. You say one thing that tells them like, oh, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I'm doing. So there's already a, they, they create these huge disconnects and then it, which breeds a lack of trust. I've also seen directors not read the room and just shooting this way and this way and this way and just just hosing it down, as we call it, and watching the crew just become furious that right. they're in the 14th hour because they didn't have a plan. They just said, I'm just going to shoot it all. And I figured it out in post type of situation. So once again, it goes back to a lack of preparation, not really knowing how to communicate effectively. Like one, one director in particular, he talked to everybody the same. He used the exact same manner to speak to everybody in, in terms of cast and crew. And that clearly wasn't working. And he just wasn't reading the room and being aware of that. Like, okay. So preparation and you know social awareness, I would say, are the two biggest things. All right. Anya, you, you were going to hop into? Well, I was just, I was really going to say, like, alongside what Carl was saying, but like being an AD, so having been a crew member and just experienced a director who is overshooting, or just, I guess I was going to say, know your audience. And that's the audience of the television show, the style of the show, mm -hmm. and also your audience as in your, your crew and cast. Like, so you're on a half hour sitcom you don't, you, we don't need to do this incredibly difficult, you know, shot. It, it doesn't fit into the, the style of the show. So don't try and force like something in there that doesn't work. You're stepping into, I like to use Pete Chapman's uh, allegory, which is you're making a Thanksgiving dinner for another family. And you, they're, they're telling you how you want, they want it made. And you're just going, but great, I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to introduce this cool cranberry sauce that I love because you might like it. But also, you know, you just have to know your audience and that that's preparation. That's exactly what Carl yeah. said. It's preparation and knowing what's the show. Like, you're not, we don't need this wide, high shot. We don't need this because we're, they don't use it. It doesn't happen. Yeah. What about I think you, man? I'm, like, going in the, the other direction, like, lack of flexibility because I, I saw directors who were really well prepared, but weren't prepared to pivot if mm -hmm. their approach was not received well or didn't work like they planned. So it, for me, it's like I'm an extreme prepper, but like I hold it very loosely. So it's like we come in, it's like I know exactly where I want to put the camera, but if the movement in the scene like turns out a way I did not expect, I feel like it's really important to be flexible and to change the plan and be able to adapt. And I feel like when directors are too locked in on what they prepared and they're, and some of this comes with experience too, because sometimes it's like, if you don't have any experience, you probably need to follow the plan. But you know, <laughs> as, as you get more experience, you learn how to, it's like, ah, oh, you're looking at the DPI, it'll still work if we do this, or we can just kind of tweak it a little bit here. But, you know, being able to get off of all of your kind of sketches and, you know, all your shot lists and things like that and be able to react to what's happening in the moment. If directors can't do that, I feel like they will struggle. 
You, that's a, I remember when I was shadowing because you know you and I Dan mm -hmm. share the Debbie Allen school of oh, yeah. school of fear and um, <laughs> you know I remember when I was shadowing she was like basically why do you have to keep looking at your iPad mm. you know like you should be able to talk you know and I was like point taken like yeah I have to do the prep and be able to communicate this I like I might need it if I want to show something specifically. But if I want to talk about, I want to come here, here, have people enter from there, like I should be able to do that without mm -hmm. like my, my blankie. <laughs> yeah. You know talk what I about, mean? Talk about the pop quizzes too. <laughs> oh, oh, look, man, she would, she would show up. You'd just be sitting there. You think you're just watching a scene or maybe you were, you were looking at your email. She'd be mm -hmm. right in your ear. How many shots do we owe? What's the next setup? And you'd be like, oh shit. And so then, you know, and she's testing you, like seeing if you're watching what this director's mm -hmm. doing. Because if you can't answer that, you know, and if you get defensive, because she's really like kind of just poking the bear, trying to see what's your temperament, knowing that like if she's gonna give, if she's gonna give Dan that job, if she's gonna give me that job, like it ain't, it's gonna, you're gonna get in there and you're gonna deal with a whole lot of actors who are gonna poke you in different ways. So like, can you even just deal with this imaginary poking? That where you're not even on the on the line here, so yeah, man, that that's that's true. That's true. You got to be able to pivot, but you got to have it yep. all figured out. Jeff, what you yeah. think? But I've never I've never shadowed, so I I don't know from that perspective, but I know it from the perspective of what you're talking about in regards to um, being a PD and being able to look at other directors as they are working on my shows, whether it was Out Kind of People or Yellow Jackets, and then going. Ooh, that's not going to work. Oh, why, why are they doing that shot? Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to have to reshoot that. And, you know, you know, so, and so that happens quite a bit. So the Debbie Allen school, which I love that she does that because, because <laughs> sometimes I would do that to shadows. I would lean in and, you know, do that. I didn't even know I was using the Debbie Allen method. I love that to Debbie Allen method, but being able to be like, oh, how many shots is that? And, you know, what's your, you know, how many, how many going to do here? Because at the end of the day, like you said, Pete, it's like the actors will come up. And I've worked on those sets where the actors are literally like right there and going, well, Jeff, you know, how many before we leave? How many before I can get out of here? And, you know, and, and not to say that they're, you know, that they, their goal is to go home. But I think, you know, when you get on the show and the show has been going for a certain amount of years and, and the actors know what they're doing, they're so locked into their characters that they want to know, like, how many shots, how much do I have to give to you here? Because are we in a wide? Can I go to 50% here? When you're tight, I need to go to 100. Or, you you know, like, where are you over my shoulder? Are you even seeing me? Am I just eye line? There are all the different things that if you don't tell the actors, and they're always going to give 100. They're always going to give 100. And therefore, you've worn your actor out. And so when they come up and ask you, well, you know, how many you got, you know, how much you're going to see of me? You should have an answer to that question. I know many directors don't have an answer to that question because you know, the next thing I, the reason why I know that is because I get the phone call or I get the text message comes in. Hey, Jeff, can you come and And it's the after that's calling me down there and saying, hey, man, listen, you know, he, she, they, them don't know what they're doing. And, you know, can we, you know, can you go over? Because, you know, I don't want to go over. So it's a whole thing. So we, you know, as much as I didn't shadow, now I can still, uh, as I look over the landscape of directors that, you know, we hire, I'm able to see and go, oh, wow, that's not going to work. Or, oof. So, you, so know that going in, you know. That's just my experience level up from the non-shadowing side. 
Yeah, and I've only channeled uh, a couple of times. But one thing I wanted to add was it's just talking to the to the crew. You know, like I've I've been there where, you know, it's overlapped or whatever. And it's like the crew, when you just come in with this ego, you know what I mean? And you don't treat the crew like people, it can turn on you because that's your team. So that's one thing. I also went to the Debbie Allen School of... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Of shadowing. And luckily I had listened to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman and I was ready. (laughs) I was ready. So, you know, the same thing happened to me. You know, I had my iPad, but I also just, each time I was like, hey, how would I shoot this? You know what I mean? And sure enough, she was like, how would you shoot this scene? And it was interesting because when you're shadowing, you also need to be very respectful of that director, you know, regardless of, you know, why you're there, who brought you. And so the way I was going to shoot it was completely different. I felt like, and mm-hmm. even I think they ended up having to reshoot that scene in particular. But I felt like how I was going to shoot it was along the, anyway, I broke down how I was going to shoot it and she approved, but it was also a thing going on where people were like, why is he shooting it this way? So I had right. to like speak up, but not speak up too loud and to, you know, disrespect that director. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's Ooh. a delicate balance. Yeah, Jeff. Oh, real quick. I lied. Okay, I lied. Let me just rewind. I lied-ish. Ish. Okay, so I did shadow, I guess, two times. One was Henry Chan, and it was one day, and it was on mm-hmm. Moesha. And Henry, I met Henry Chan, and he came out and said, I was like, hey, I'm Jeff Burr. He's like, yeah, I heard you. I know you. And I was like, oh, okay, Henry. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shadow you. He's like, you don't even shadow me. Get out of here. You don't even shadow me. It was the whole thing because it also was the worst day on Moesha ever. <laughs> and then I remember something happened, a big argument. And then Henry comes over to me and, and literally comes over and says, listen, man, get out of here while you can. <laughs> yeah, he said, run while you can. Get out of here while you can. And, and you know what? It scared me off of multicam. I never have done a multicam show. And I don't think I ever will. Because of that day on Moesha, I will I won't go into too many details about it, but it was a bad Moesha day, and Henry was having it passed up to here, and he was like, "Get out of here!" And then the only the second time was just that that was literally a couple of hours, and I went home. And then the second time was I shadowed Milton Shelton, so it wasn't really even shadowing, shadowing because Mills I already directed a bunch of video, a bunch of episodes of television, and I was down in the dumps about a movie I did that tanked. And and I was like, fetal position, you know, knocking out of bed. Just a known movie. I did a film called King's Ransom, and it did really badly. And I was beside myself with, with, with self-pity. And mm. Millicent, after about a year, I think, of not working, Millicent said, Jeff, you got to come and just, you got to get out, get out of your bedroom, get out of your, get out of your house. And so she made me come down to shadow her on this show called Switch That Birth. And... And I remember being mad. She said, look, if you don't shadow, if you don't come down to the show, I'm going to not be your friend anymore. And sure enough, I was like, oh, I can't lose a friendship. So let me go. And, and it wasn't really a shadow because it, she was very, she tricked me. She wanted to get me, get me television jobs. So she literally brought me down there and literally brought me and dragged me to every single meeting, every, in, front, in front of the VPs, in front of the show, everybody. Until one day, we were on set and the showrunners and the line producer came over and sat next to me. She said, um, so you want to direct, huh? I was like, yeah, I do. I direct. 
She's like, what's your name again? And I said, Jeffrey. She took her phone out and she IMDB me. And she said, is this <laughs> in front you? Of you. <laughs> in front of me. Yo, she ain't no place. She's about five feet tall, but she <laughs> no joke. So she IMDB me. She said, this you? And I was like, yeah, that's me. This is your IMDB right here. Yep. She looked at me and she got up and went over to Crash Services where the, where the, the showrunners were. So they were over there. And then she literally on the other side of the room, she's looking at that thing and she points over at me and she's looking at them and she points over. She's showing them my MDB and she points over. And all three of them come walking over to me. And they're like, this, this is you right here. You have these credits? And I was like, yeah. He said, why are you shadowing our show? And then Millicent walks by. He should be directing our show. And then she goes back. I was sitting in Millicent's seat. And Millicent never Love sits it. down. When she's on set, Millicent never sits in a director's chair. So she put me, she always put me in a director's chair in front of the monitor. I'm sitting there going, this is your chair. She's like, no, just stay there. And little did I know, Millicent had set all this up so that they would meet me. And then later on, it paid off because I ended up directing episodes of their shows, the spinoff show, Good Trouble. And I did, oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't, it wasn't Switcher Birth, it was The Fosters. And I ended up, they, the showrunners from The Fosters, and the spinoff was Good Trouble, but I also directed Switch That Birth. And it was all because of Millicent having me come down and be with her every day. And, and literally, it was no shadowing because she never tested me because she knew I could direct. But she was just like, just sit there and you just come to these meetings. I just want them to see your face. And, you know, that's why this, these friend groups are so important because she, you know, yeah. and it changed, the, it changed my career. It relaunched my TV career. Speak, let, let's speak to, to the community of it all because, well, Carly, were you, were you about to hop in on that? Yeah, I, I want to say something that kind of connects a couple of things that were said here, man. That yeah. Number one, when Jeff, you mentioned, you know, having a movie that didn't do as well as, it didn't live up to his expectation and the valleys that were mentioned before, because I think we've all experienced these valleys and coupling it with something you said in the podcast a couple episodes ago with the surfer director about being bitter and how that bitterness mm -hmm. affected opportunities and it was such a profound statement, man. I really want to give you flowers for saying that because I know I know I held that. I was I was angry for for years. Like I know I'm dope. Why are you all not seeing it? Why are you all not giving right. me these opportunities? And it be, it became I thought it was my shield. It was more like a hmm. detractor. It made people want to stay away from me. Like this dude might pop off at any minute or something like that. And connecting that with you know having a, a community that sees you, sees your greatness and lifts you up and puts you in positions to be like, okay, you just got to be right. If you're right here in this chair, this opportunity will come to you because you're right there and so forth, man. So, you know, it's, it, everybody talks about the good, you know, you work in and the gravy and all that kind of stuff, but there's a lot of mental fortitude that is required to endure this industry as a whole. It doesn't matter what you do, whether you direct, act, produce, write, hair, hair makeup, whatever, there's a mental fortitude that's required and there's a support base that is required as well because, it, I mean, you, some things happen, you can't even explain it. You're like, I never saw this coming. I can't imagine this happening. Can, they can just devastate you. They can just floor you and take the, the, yeah. you know, the ground out of your feet, man. So I just wanted to comment on that because he mentioned, you know, I'm not being able to get out of bed, been there where like, I'm not getting up today. Today is a wrap. Yeah. I don't even want to watch TV. I don't yeah. want to watch a movie. I don't want to read. I don't want to do anything craft based because I don't have that drive. I, I've lost my fire in Finding ways to get that fire back is a real thing. And depression is a real thing as it pertains to trying to get in this industry, trying to get opportunities and trying to sustain yourself in right. this industry. So just wanted to bring that to light. Yeah. Nah, much love, man. And, and that's so that's super true. I mean, you have to like literally have like a candle under your ass, you know, <laughs> for the entirety of your career. Or that's what we believe, right? And 
it's hard to keep that flame going 100% of the time, 365 days a year. And you need a community of people to kind of help you in those moments where, you know, it's flickering or the pilot light goes out or whatever. I could run this metaphor into the ground. So, you know, I, I was going to ask everybody, like, you know, can you identify, you know, that one person um, that was like your your biggest supporter or cheerleader or or like that kind of helped you get to where you are? And sometimes that could just be, you know, I got my first job or sometimes it can be something, you know, a little different that helped you transition out of one space, you know, from comedy to drama. But I'd just like to hear where who that might be and what a little anecdote, because I think, you know, I want folks to know that it's not all about your ability to move cameras and and give notes and 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 you know dissect a script like you're gonna need people to have an understanding of who you are, how you move, what your passion is, and then that community comes to support you. I'll jump out first. I mean, when I first got into this game, man, coming from the South Side of Chicago, especially in the 90s, people were like, you wanna do what? You wanna make movies? Like, is that even a real thing for you? Like most most people were like naysayers and like, get a real job. You know what I'm saying? Like, why why would you waste your time pursuing something like this? So I was fortunate to be around some some very inspiring artists, like my brother Kenny Young, man. He's a writer and director as well. He's out here. We, we moved out here together. He was Captain America long before Marvel Studios existed, man. This dude would hmm. encourage, inspire, be like, yo, we can do anything. You see that mountain? We can, we can attack this mountain. We can make it happen. And he would have you like, yeah, we can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why not? So he's, he's probably one of my biggest advocates, man. But it would come from a lot of different places. I learned to be cognizant to listen, where sometimes you get it from a stranger that just says, yo, I saw this project you did and it, it moved me to do X, Y, and Z. You know what I'm saying? So anytime you do a project and it, it, and it moves somebody to make a, a, a pivot or take action in their own life, I take that as the highest compliment, man. So I listen to things like that and, and, and gather the, 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 uh, the motivation, inspiration from that as well. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it, it, it was so many people. When I first got here, I was really lucky because I was able to build a community of like young, like black would-be filmmakers as we were all trying to emerge at the same time. So some of us were still in film school or doing internships or trying to get our first assistant jobs. And we really kind of like lifted each other up. You know, it's like supporting one another, reading each other's scripts volunteering to work on people's short films on the weekends. I was a part of a writer's group that really kind of like changed the trajectory of me as a filmmaker. There was a time I was trying to convince myself I wanted to be an executive because I felt like Mm -hmm. I could see that path a little bit more clearly. It's like I had been working for executives. I was like, okay, I can be a CE. Like I can do this thing. But it was those artists among me or around me who who were able to kind of help me focus and give me the confidence through their success and their growth mm-hmm. that I could grow as well. I got to talk about my wife as well, because when we got together, I was a, a PA on a television show and she was an executive. So it was like, that's something special to be able to kind of see something that, that makes you want to make an investment in your life at that point. So was, there was no guarantee things were going to work out. So that's something that I appreciate as well. And sometimes when we tell these stories, it seems like a straight path. I think Jeff, right. You told it really well because you talked about the ups and downs. You talked about where things didn't go well or whatever. I've left out things that didn't go well and sent me in different directions. But that community was always around to kind of keep me supported and keep me encouraged 
when it didn't feel like the next thing was going to come. And where are just, to, you know, like who are some of those people in that community and where are they now? Because I think that's that's beautiful for folks to see like this shared journey. Yeah. I mean, I think about Tammy Banks, who is a part of that writers group. She is like one of the kind of, you know, biggest emerging, you know, female directors right now. Big film at Sundance. All of us got all of our coats from wherever we came from to go up to Sundance last year to support her for her film. I have friend Hank, her husband. He was one of my first friends uh, in Los Angeles. He's now a writer on Will Trent. Uh, I'm thinking about my manager who was an assistant with me at Walt Disney Motion Pictures. We were both mm. working for executives. I was thinking about being a writer. He was thinking about going into representation and he became my manager um, before I could finish a script. Like I wasn't like mm. the wonderkin who was like winning all of these awards. Right. I was a guy who had some good ideas, but wasn't really finishing drafts. And he started right. to like, you know, encourage me and kind of invest in me and send me out on meetings and, you know, like introduce me to the world of Hollywood so that I could get that boost that I needed to be able to finish those drafts and, and stuff like that. And then just being, I think about the whole Shondaland community. It's like, I think about all of those folks. We started together as assistants and now they're writers on Station 19 uh, or they're, you know, writers on, you know, pick your broadcast show. We've all kind of spread around and been able to be supportive of each other as we we try to grow and build together. And what I what I would venture to say for for the listener, as they say, is that how everybody kind of broke down, like who they are now in the beginning of this episode. Y'all were, I'm sure, doing the 2015 version of that when you were meeting these folks and building those relationships and people could see like. You know, like you like you see it when you meet somebody young, you're like, oh, this motherfucker gonna make it. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can just tell because there there's clarity, there's like confidence. They don't have all the answers and they know it. And it's really important to kind of be be clear about what you want and and, and what your intentions are. And and I think people hop on to that to that journey because they it's not like they need to give you a, a compass and a and a map and a destination. Like you got that and they they're gonna help you, like, oh, here's a gas station. Or, yo, don't go down that street. They got, you're going to get jammed up in traffic. Like, you, you get that support because of what you give out to the world. Anya, what do you think? I was going to say, I was going to say a couple people that really inspired me. One is Ken Whittingham. He's a very prolific director who I worked with as an AD. And just watching him on set. And once I kind of decided that I wanted to direct, being able to, like, I didn't shadow just really like Jeff either, because I was constantly shadowing as an AD. You know, you're always behind a, a director. And I got to work with Ken a lot and just watching his style, his creativity, his energy on set, it was really reinforcing to me. Like I thought, oh, I can do this. And being able to have a dialogue with him was really helpful to me. The other thing, kind of like Dan, being a trainee, what kind of morphed from that is that you had mentors, like uh, graduate trainees that kind of took on new trainees. And, and what started happening was like uh, groups of us, especially black women, would start just meeting together and having a brunch, which morphed into this thing called Sister Brunch, where we would just have women in the industry come and it was like fellowship and it would be, you know, every three months or whenever. And we'd just come and sit down, talk about our successes 
talk about, you know, problems, you know, because the industry is quite small, especially in LA. So it's like, oh, you're on that show. Be careful for this or no, these things happen. Or we really were able to give a transfer of kind of experiences. And, and that was incredibly supportive. And one of um, my dear friends who is an inspiration to me now, who's a part of kind of our group, Bola Ogan was, you know, a PA at the time in that group. And now hmm. you know, she just directed the finale of The Witcher. And you just see that, you know, like Dan, you see this transformation of people. And I think a big part of it is when you find your people and you can have that fellowship and support, it really does help move you forward. Obviously, you're doing the work, but that kind of just wind at your back is so wonderful. It's kind of interesting. I haven't really had a, a group of people that I came up with because I came out of unscripted and music television and transferred over. I didn't have people that I grew up with them in that space and some people transferred over. And so I've been able to connect, but I've really kind of been going blindly, but there's definitely been people who have like supported me along the way. And one of the, I think one of the most pivotal things that I did was with a group of friends of mine, including Pepper Chambers with Carl. I think you know her. Is we, she's a writer and she's an actress. And so she, it was like 2011, you know, and it was like, I was trying to figure out my way. And so she had written this, this ebook and we decided to turn it into a digital series, into a YouTube series. And for hmm. me, I hadn't done any narrative work in so long. I kept getting frustrated. Like, nobody's calling me a director. They're calling me a really great producer. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, but I did that film like 15 years ago. And yes, I've worked on these shows, but it doesn't count. So I directed, I wrote, we, we drank wine, wrote the script, directed <laughs> it, worked with some phenomenal actors, you know, and it... And we submitted it to, and, and rest in peace, Michael Jockway, he started um, the um, LA Web Fest. And I remember being really, really scared because I didn't know anyone in the industry and to show my work and to show our work. And so he opened his, he was just very encouraging, first of all. We got into the festival. We won like seven awards. To this day, that is the Oscars for me. Like, because I was doing what I loved. And so it was just a reminder of like going back to that passion and doing what you love. And then to win all those awards was really, really great. So there's people that I've come up with. You know, I mentioned Meg Deloach, Claire Brown is someone else. I worked with her. So after I did, um, you know, that digital series, I did, I did Black and Sexy TV after that. So that's kind of how I grew my you know, my work. And so I did like the whole first season of Sexless, again, worked with some great people, you know, worked with Numa Perrier, worked with a bunch of wonderful actresses and actresses. And then I met Claire because she was going to do a digital series for Google. Then I ended up directing the first season. So it came kind of later on. And so now, and then I was in the Producers Guild Fellowship and I met people who are now show running and, and, you know, writing feature films. So I didn't come up with them in the same way. But we support each other and reached out as we needed. Most recently, I think now, like connecting with all of you directors and the directors that I know because I didn't come up in, you know, on in the crew, it's been so helpful to, to know how to navigate. You know what I mean? Listening to, you know, your podcast and like seeing, oh, I'm not the only one going through it. But it's been difficult because... There hasn't really been anyone that can relate, you know, that I'm close friends with that can relate to 
this process. They've all been very encouraging, but I really am like, I don't know what to do next. You know, I, where do I go? Who do I? So I've been kind of finding my way. But that's the community awaits. And that's what's dope yeah. about it, right? Because like yeah, we all, absolutely. We're all... And I really feel like I have the community now, but just coming up, I, you know, it was just far and few between. And I, you know, friends that aren't in the in the in the industry or on that side really held me down. Right. Right. Thank you. And Mr. Bird. Uh well, I think I mentioned a few. I mentioned, you know, Felicia Anderson, you know. Obviously, Millicent, you know, Chris Sakani, who was a line producer on that show as well, on on The Fosters. And, there was, you know, it's interesting. There's, I'm just thinking about it. There's a lot of Black women that have really kind of helped, you know, my career mm. as well. I got Perlita yeah. Bokway and um, Dominique Telson when they were over uh, at, at Showtime. Perlita's gone from there now. Perlita's over at uh, Universal Television. And Dominique is over with Malcolm Lee, a Black, black male running his company. And it's like I got... My first TV movie, 17 Again, was from Showtime. And I got that. And it's so funny, I remember going into that meeting and not being able, I think, oh, I'm not going to get this movie. It's like, like, back in the day, you'd go to these, you'd go to these screenings. I mean, you go to these meetings, and in the meetings, you would, there'd be, you know, this sign-in list, and you'd see all the people who came there before you. I remember going for 17 again, which was a T and Tamara movie, Sister, Sister, it's Twins. And I saw like Robert Townsend's name. I saw all these names like on the list that were meeting. Sounds like an acting, acting, casting call. Yeah. I, Jed, you know, it's like, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to get this movie. Just, I'm just looking at the names on here. I'm not getting this movie. So, you know, so I'm like, okay, fine. I'm just going to go in there and just be me and do me and have a meeting and not worry about it. And usually that's the best, some of the best, some of the best meetings you have are when you just do that. I mean, you just, just throw caution to the wind. And I did, yeah, I went man. there and had that meeting and I literally like put my feet on the table almost like, no, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to get it. So I'm just going to throw out all these ideas. And next thing you know, boom, I, I got the, got the movie. Who knew? And I remember Perlina and, you know, Dominique calling me about that. And then, then after that, I, Perlina, I think it was, was it Dominique who went on when, Attorney leave. No, maybe it was Perlina, but Perlina gave me the Jasper, Texas movie with John Voight and Lou Gossett and Joe Morton. And, and that was also at Showtime. And that was also one of those meetings where I didn't know if I was going to get it because I got two Oscar winners and a Golden Globe winner. They're not going to hire me. And I ended up, you know, getting, getting that too. So it's weird. It's a weird thing, but people are always there to stand in the gap for you for some reason. And because they, they see something in you. And, you know, it's an amazing thing when that happens. So it's always good to find your tribe. And, you yeah. know, we have we have quite a tribe in this group as well. So I'm going to, I'll let, there's only, let's see, I only got <laughs> three questions left. Um, I'm trying to Wait. be razor sharp because I know. We, Pete, you didn't answer that question. You know, I would have to say um, I, it, it's easy. It, it, to me, it's the first episode. And it and it's Kenya Barris. And I, I tell the story in the book, in my book, um, you know, I met him in 2002, my first L.A. trip ever. Me, my man Dorian, who's been in all my films, um, uh, his cousin Shah and Kenya at Fat Burger on uh, on uh, what is that Melrose or Santa Monica over there in Hollywood. And, you know, I go here was somebody who was aware of all the things that I mentioned at the top of this podcast, making these independent features, winning Tribeca, 
you know, doing music videos for Martin Lawrence movies, soundtracks, you know what I mean? And when I finally came through and was in the Disney ABC program and shadowing on Blackish and saw Anya ADing, um, you know, we had this meeting um, after I had shadowed. I remember I, we met at, I think, I don't know if it's still there, but maybe it is Pally House over on uh, right off of La Cienega. And we go over there. He was writing, you know, I went and I was like, let me get a fucking expensive bottle of scotch, you know what I mean, as a gift just for this opportunity. And sat down with him and he he just cut right to it. He's like, look, man, we're going to give you an episode. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> it just felt like it had been forever, you know? Um, and there was great relief and a weight lifted. But, you know, that led to, I booked that first. Then, because I was in the program, you know, I should mention Sydney Rhymes, because I was in the Disney ABC program, and she she fed me. I did the blackish Walmart commercials for Back to School that same year, because she knew that I, I had a branded content company. So then, and then, and then she booked me on Grownish to shoot before Blackish. So now it was like I got to, in the summer, work on the Blackish set with the kids. Got that out of, you know, got that like nervous energy out. Then I did Grownish and it was like, okay, now I've done an episode of TV. And then I went and did Blackish after that. And so, you know, that led to, I did six grownish, six blackish, and one mixedish. So like that just in that in those early years, like Anya, you said, like I you did five episodes. It was like it that shit kept me popping. You know what I mean? Because it was I was just able to kind of work and also be able to like email people and say, look at this episode. Like and and we all know when you get hired back, it kind of is a stamp of approval. And really a stamp of sanity, you know what I mean? For other <laughs> folks to be like, okay, like, you know, Monique is clearly able to deal with the realities of, of a show. And then also people know the realities of a show and different shows have different personalities. So I got to give it up to, to Kenya because that was, that was monumental. You're making, so, you're making yeah. me feel bad because I didn't really do that. And he <clears throat> gave me my first episode too. So. <laughs> but you know, up. but, but. But it's a thing like I could I could I I could even like, you know, not to take too much of the time, but like I. I could say 15 people, you know what I mean? Like I yeah. like Same. like I, there's another short story, like when I, I interviewed for Silicon Valley and that was like the show I first shadowed on, never been on a TV set before in my life. And I had met with nobody really talked to me when I was on set much, but like. I had finally Zoomed with Mike Judge and Jim Cleverweiss, and I was shooting an episode of Always Sunny, and Rob McElhenney was like, hey, like, what are you working on next? And I was like, oh, I don't know, blah, blah. Turned out he had, Alec Berg had called him to see about hiring me for Silicon Valley, and Rob was like, you should do it. He's the guy. So, like, Amazing. and that was such a pivot for, like, you know, we all black on here, like, that... I was only black director on that show. And so like there was a pivot that I could feel from having done that show that helped me get into a different space. So, you know, Rob McElhenney as well. So, and and he hired me for about eight episodes of TV. So it's kind of like, you know, it's like, it's hard to really pinpoint. Um, it makes me think I was gonna ask all the, I'm sorry. It just makes me think of all the people behind the scenes who you'll never know 
made a phone call yeah. for you or sent an oh, email yeah. for you. I can't, I can't track how I've gotten the jobs that I've gotten, but I know just because of knowing how the business works, someone made a, a call, someone gave an email and they never told me about it. Um, and that kind of makes me want to be that person eventually for other people where it's like, I don't need any credit. You'll never know I'm the person uh, who did whatever. Um, but that's a big part of our business. Just, just all these kind of quiet advocates uh, and people yeah. who are yeah. boosting you all the time. Yeah. And loud ones because Jeff Bird was a very loud supporter of me when I went over to Yellow Jackets. <laughs> and I wouldn't have gotten that show if it wasn't for him. And and you guys have heard him today on the podcast. And I think that you can tell he's not often quiet. He's loud. <laughs> she's, she's just saying she's saying that because she wants another episode this season. That's why. <laughs> I was just gonna add that just for the listeners, it really is about your reputation, you know, mm. and it's like the, there's people who are advocating for you that you don't even know it. You know what I mean? You do sometimes, but it's not just about asking for an episode. It's about like, how well, how did you do? And, and can people feel excited to like vouch for you and to put that call in you, mm. you, you that you don't even have to ask? And you sometimes, like Dan said, you don't even know they did it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's really on point with that because you you can you can get someone a job. I mean, people that you've worked with will reach out to you, say, hey, "How you doing, man? Great to hear from you." Hey, do you know this director? What do you think about them or or this other mm -hmm. person? And you can give someone a glowing review. You can get someone hired like that. Or mm, I don't know, man, mm -hmm. you can do the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, you know, you gotta like like you said. <laughs> Carl hit the nail on the head on that one because I love how we always we're all staying positive, but it's always. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny because people be like. You know, yeah, they got the good list, good list. There's also there's a good list and a bad list. Yes. So meaning there's people that you go like what Carl just said, mm, oh well, maybe I don't know. And and that happens too. And sometimes you're on that list. I've been on that list. I've been on that list. It's so funny. I was on that list. I'm not gonna name any names or any shows, but I remember I was on I would I did a show and according to certain people on that show, it didn't cut it didn't turn out well, even though the show the episode were all the things that I was doing on the episode, which they said, well, you know, our show doesn't do this. You know, our show doesn't do this. And I did those shots. I did the show shots, but then I did those shots from God's laughing. I did those, I did my other <laughs> shots anyway, just be like, okay, well, I'm gonna do the show shots. But here's a couple of other things that the show where can pick from in, you know, in the edit, in case. And all the shots that I did that they all said were not gonna be good for the show, the show were to somehow, some way put in the show. So, mm -hmm. but I remember I doing another show where the some of the production people, a lot of producer, production manager, all of them, came over to this other show. And I was directing, I had already directed a couple of episodes of this show. And so I knew the show like, like that. And I was already doing it, doing well on that show. And I had heard that they had hired this person. And I was like, okay, cool, no problem. I had you know, no issue. And I get there and I'm working my day and doing my first half of the day. And you know, finishing early, finishing scenes early, getting, getting the actors out of there. We go to lunch. I get to lunch and this person comes and sits next to me. And she comes and she says, I'm sitting there at lunch, mind my own business, mind my own black business, trying to be chill. And she comes and sits down next to me. And she says, oh my God, Jeff, you're such a, a good director. This is amazing. You know, I wish you would have been doing this on the other show that we did because we would have definitely recommended you this amazing. I'm sitting there, I, I couldn't believe she had to her to say this to my face. I was sitting there looking over at her. And I just, I say nothing. And I just get my, my tray and I get up and walk away. 
And I remember she went to one of the other producers. And then the producer came to my office, came into my office later and closed the door. She's like, oh my God, what did you do to her? What did you say? I was like, well, you know, and I told, told him the history. And he started laughing his head off. He was like, that is so funny. And you're, 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 you're such a good director. How could she think you were not a good director? I was like, man, listen, we don't need to go into it. But know that in this business, sometimes you may, unbeknownst to something you may do or not do or whatever, end up on the bad list. You know, I think all of us on the Zoom have that, have a story to that degree. But you can also bounce back from that. You can bounce back from that with the help of community and, you know, people you have and all the people that we're we're just talking about. The hope always springs eternal. And definitely don't, you know, go fetal. Don't don't do what I did Hmm. back in the day. Don't don't go, don't go fetal. I think don't go fetal. I'm getting you a t-shirt. I I was gonna (laughs) say. That also is important that you have a community because I have been on shows where people were disparaging about directors I know, and you have to be com- like you like just in confidence in terms of re- referring someone. I personally feel, especially for us, it's important for us to support each other. And if you're hearing stuff, you have to speak up for people mm-hmm. too. You can't just mm-hmm. let it go because this can become a little bit of a high school environment. And so if you're hearing that, sometimes you're going to challenge it because it's one person who got really upset because Moranike was like, you know what? I know we're all thinking on Moranike's name, but like, you know, Moranike said, no, I'm not doing that. I need to go over here. And all of a sudden they're upset. And now Moranike sucks and she's terrible. And that's not true. But, you know, there's that happens. So also know that you got to stand up for your peeps here. And yeah. you may hear and it. find yeah. and find as many advocates as you can, you know, like because yeah. somewhere along the line, you know, for the most parts, unless it's somebody at the top who's in a position of power, like if people start speaking wild about you, most people be like, you crazy, though. So I, I, yeah. I, I, I take that, you know, I don't, I don't take how right. you say that. You know what I mean? Hi, this is Bola Ogun, director of The Witcher and Shadow and Bone, and you are listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chuck. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook, is Pete Chapman's book from Michael Weezy Productions. The reviews are in. Greg Berlanti says, There's a reason why everyone who works with Pete falls in love with his work. The lessons he imparts here are invaluable. Do yourself a favor and read it cover to cover. From Sarah Gamble. Pete's sharing gold nuggets that will spare you a ton of wasted time and help you channel your drive, talent, and ambition in the most productive way. And from Jesse Williams. This business has everything to do with preparation and expectations. Transitions grounds lessons in reality while empowering our artistry to run free. Not an easy balance to execute. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is available on Amazon and anywhere else you get your books. Don't forget about your mom and pop shops, people. So I want to ask y'all, this might be a a nice pivot into this. And like I said, there's only, there's three last questions. What, when I I listened to this, my man, Matt Barnes has a podcast, All the Smoke. And one thing that they ask everybody is like, what was your welcome to the NBA moment? You know, and somebody be like, yo, Michael Jordan 
posted me up, did a spin move and dunked on me. And I thought it was awesome, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. So what's your welcome to the DGA moment where you were like, oh shit, I'm directing now. And I will, with Anya's prodding, I will, I will tell you mine first. So I don't yeah. forget the question. I was doing a show that I won't name and I was called down to the hair and makeup trailer and the star of the show was there, the showrunner and EP and then hair and makeup. And it's these five women and me. And so I had had many a conversation about this one particular shot of this woman getting into a shower. And I was told what I could show and what I could not show and, and this and that. So I had this whole thing where it was going to be it was going to be steady cam until we like went close on the dress. And then we swap, you know, we cut on that. We bring in the studio mode so we could boom down as the dress dropped. And I would stay up below her knee, you know, as she went and stepped into the shower with the uh, other person. And so, I mean, it was a lot of negotiation to get there. And yeah. I thought, okay, this is a great idea. And so then I get called in and we're talking. And I'm like, okay, they're asking me about it. And it sounds like they don't want to do this no more. And I'm, and part of me is like, we had like, I don't know, a good 45 minutes of conversations about it. But that's in the back of my mind. Cool, cool, cool. And so what I discovered slowly was that, and what my hunch was, was that she wants a body double, but doesn't want to ask me for it. Mm -hmm. And so like, I was like, just trying to piece it out. And I was like, okay, I got to like withdraw what she's saying from what I'm hearing, but I also can't just fucking give up my idea and look like I don't stand on anything. So it was just this kind of process of like, okay, well this now, okay. And then finally, when I figured that out, I offered it as the idea when I saw that it was pretty firm that I couldn't talk my way into keeping my idea. And that was what the situation was. And part of what it, prompted me into that was that, and I'll never know if this is true, but I knew that in real life, this person's husband had left her for a younger woman. And I, and there were all these other things going on. And I was like, I, I feel like that's what it is. And after that, it was like a 180. We didn't have a problem, but like after that, it was like, so happy to see me every day. You know, we, we got to bring you back. You're one of the best. And I was like, that was directing. That was directing. Not a shot list, not a, that motherfucking moment right there was directing because if that didn't, it was maybe day two, you know, of six. Like if that moment goes different, my whole time there, much like the, what we just kind of pivoted out of, my whole time there would have been different. And the, and this, and the like way that I would have been spoken of would have been different. And it would have been because I didn't navigate something that was not being said. So mm. What any what what welcome to the DGA moments come to mind for y'all? I'll, I'll give you mine. I'll give you mine. I was at the DGA kind of training thing. So this is what you do when you're about to get your first episode of television. And then the person who was running the class, they asked, okay, where are you going? What, what's your first episode going to be? And I told them the show and it was like, wait, you going there? Okay, wait, <laughs> before you go, you need to talk to these five people. So so he gives me he gives me the phone numbers. These five people like call them before you go, talk to them, get their advice or whatever. So I do all that. That's the context. So here we are. I think this is day two of shooting my first ever episode of television. I'm working with this particular actor and I'm getting just like this very negative vibe. And it's it seems to be coming from nowhere. And it's like weird stuff. It's not, you know, it's like, well, why are you putting the camera there? Or 
do you really need that or all these? And it was very aggressive. It wasn't that collaborative or informational conversation. It was very kind of what felt like mean spirited, whatever. So I was mm. like, okay, this is my first test. I'm gonna let this roll off my back. I'm just gonna focus on the job. I'm not getting confrontational, whatever. But it was weird. Like people in the crew are like looking at each other or averting their eyes because it was just really aggressive behavior. So anyway, I was like, push through this. Let's finish the job. Let's do it. We got through the scene, kept going. Eventually, word around set was happening. And so the line producer comes down to talk to me. And the context was that this particular actor wanted to direct and was not able to direct. And my lesson from that was this had nothing to do with me at all. Like this was like a like an internal issue. And I feel like a lot of times directors come in and, you know, you're getting tension from different points. And sometimes it has nothing to do with you at all. So for me, the lesson was kind of, okay, you know, when you're a guest in someone's home, you never know the complete story of how everyone got to the point that they are. You don't know the kind of inner beefs and things like that. But that was the first time I really had to deal with like a difficult situation on that level at that stage. And it was completely out of my control. And that's when I felt like, okay, well, if I can do this, then I think I might have a chance. <laughs> uh, so I was I was doing a show and as I was prepping the showrunner and all the producers had given me a heads up that like listen we lost control of the show the actors are are insane this is what you're walking into this is what it is what? just be prepared we're sorry there's nothing we can do about it this is what we're it is sorry and, <laughs> yeah good luck <laughs> and on like day two, I was working with one of the leads, one of the two leads, and he was doing this. He he had made a choice, and it was really detracting from not just the scene, but what everything was about. And I'm like, okay, this isn't in my shot list. This isn't prep. How can I convince this dude to stop doing this without saying, please stop doing this? So what I I, I just I, I pulled him to the side. I said, hey, listen, man, you know what you're doing is a really cool creative choice but it's really taken away from all the magic right here. And all the magic is right here. But by doing yeah. this other thing, you're taking away from it, man. Let's live in that magic. He was like, I love that. And we were great <laughs> after that. And when we, when I wrapped the episode, he came up to me and said, man, dude, I really love how you work with me because I'm a narcissist. And that's the best way to give you something is to tell me to focus on my magic, which is in my face. I'm like, cool. So let's, the lesson I learned was, <laughs> It's psychological warfare. And sometimes you can plan, prepare, and have A plus B equals C. But sometimes you got to just get into it and be like, okay, what, how can I communicate this note to this person without offending them or, or, or you know, making it a bigger thing than it is? So that's when I was like, okay, I am now in the league. This is the league. Because you, you, hear, the, you hear these four stories, you hear about the, the, the whole book moments and some of these difficult people and everything like that. You'd be like, okay, how can, can it really be that bad? And then you start realizing, okay, sometimes you're dealing with people that are just totally, no matter what you say, can be wrong, whatever. So you just try to, you know, you try to use a different communicative tool. It's, it's different tool sets that you use with different people. So like I said earlier, you don't talk to everybody the exact same way. So you figure out, how can I talk to you? How can I talk to you? How can I talk to you? And just lean into that. So that was my welcome to the, I didn't get dunked on, but it looked like I was about to get dunked <laughs> Looked like I was about to get dunked I was like, ooh, ooh. So how's that? 
I, I can say one I was working on. It was early in my career and I had an, an actor on the show who was a very storied, had been working a very long time, lots of experience, and I think had committed to this show and didn't realize the cadence, the time, all the effort that goes into being on a, on a half-hour comedy. It's a lot of time when you're used to maybe doing features or in another world, the time is different. So this person I committed and, and everybody told me when I came in, this person is hard to work with. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. So I was like, you know, prepared. I, I knew my blocking. I'd walked it through with my ADs, all this kind of stuff. And so every day it would be, you know, you would, I would try also. The other thing was that this person didn't like to spend a lot of time on set. They want to be in and out, you know, they want to be gone. So I, I always try to just, you know, have my blocking simple and clear and have a reason for it and all this kind of stuff. So we are halfway through the day and things have been going fine. And she, the person didn't want to come in for rehearsal. They want to set it up with second team, which sometimes happens. And then we did that. And we actually set up for cross coverage because this person wanted to go home. And the person came in and the other actor and then I, I explained what we're doing and the person lost their mind yelling at me. I'm not a meat puppet. I can't just come in here and do this, you know, like just flipped on me. And, and because we had rehearsed with second team, the entire crew was there. It wasn't like a quiet little thing or whatever. It was like this huge explosion. And, and all I could think to do was, okay, I, I asked the actor to then just step aside with me and we had this conversation. And I was like, I just said to them, look, I need to come in and be prepared. If you, you know, I need to have a plan and I need your help if I'm going to, you know, do something that I, I need to work with you if I'm going to be able to, to execute the plan. But I have to be able to come in with something that we can start with. And she she went off and uh, she sorry, but this person went off on me more real anger at me. And ultimately, it turned out that there was all this just like Dan was saying, like all this stuff happening at home, all this stuff that was like a huge, you know, build up for this person. And they and it just exploded on set at me. And so I, what I learned was like, you could get dressed down in front of everybody. The, the comfort in it is that the whole crew kind of understands this person. So they know like, mm. that's going to happen. It happens a lot for whatever reason, that's how they manifest their frustration. But you as a new person in there, especially when there's an audience, it's very difficult. But what I, what I, gathered from that was like, I need to have the balls to be able to pull somebody aside, no matter how big they are and have a conversation with mm -hmm. them about how do we work together on set? I need to have a plan. Mm -hmm. If you're not going to come in and rehearse, I'm going to set up that plan. If you want to be a part of this, you know, scene, you need to come in and give your input. I can't read your mind, right. you know? So we, once that happened, we, we, I wouldn't say like, I had this 180 where we were like best friends, you know, but there was a mutual respect that was developed and, and helped me for the rest of the time because I did multiple episodes of that show. So yeah, I would say you got to do your best <laughs> and don't be afraid to like have that dialogue with somebody because I think ultimately that's a lot of what happens is like people are like, oh, this person's a big actor. And so I can't talk to them, but you, you have to be able to, you, you have to be able to, have that conversation and don't be afraid of having it.
I'll go next. I have I have two. They were both early in my career. One is in multicam, and it's it's it was such a simple thing, but I saw what a huge difference it made. I was you know I'm working with like legendary actors and trying to like not freak out in both situations, <laughs> you know. And so in this situation in multicam, you know, it's more like a fishbowl than ever. You know what I mean? And it's high stakes with the jokes and hitting the jokes. The lines are changing. You know, as soon as, um, you know, I'm yelling cut, everyone, you know, goes and is doing things. And sometimes the actors get lost in, in the situation. I try to stay as close to actors as I can. So in this situation, um, they wonderful performance. It was hilarious. And, you know, I yell cut and then talk to a few people here and there and we have to go again. And I, I saw that I had lost like one of the main actor actors. And, but I also, so I said, we're going to go one more time. We did it. And then I went up to them and told them why. Cause I knew I couldn't go in the middle. We're going to turn to like a big thing. It was something so simple. The cam, one of the camera people was not rolling. And I couldn't yell that out because I'm not going to call out, you know, the camera, yeah. the camera person. But I went and I said, thank you so much for doing that again. You know, look, multicam is toxic and they all know each other and they go from. So I'm, you know, that was my early thing. I was not going to call out the camera, the camera guy. And he was very, very um, apologetic. But I said, you know, one of the cam that was great. This is why we had to do it. And it was so interesting because this was, again, a season, two seasoned actors the release of the explanation of me just going and mm. giving them the courtesy of saying, you know, performance was great. We had a glitch. This is what happened. It turns things around from even what I saw, you know, the week before and seeing like there was tensions going on. And then the second one was, this was like, oh shit, I am in it. Like A-list, A-list actor I'm working with. Um, out of sorts, it's a huge opportunity. I'm out of sorts in that I've never worked with this level of an actress, but doing my thing as a director, and this is about trusting your gut, which I didn't do, but I should have. And so that's a lesson learned. So the actor was like, you know, it was really windy outside and she was not happy with wardrobe. Again, I think she wasn't happy with the producer. So a lot of things were going on that I didn't know. And so... They're like, we, we got to shoot. We got to shoot. I'm like, okay, let's shoot it without. She wanted a hat. I'm like, let's shoot it. You know, I was like, well, I think we should wait for the hat. But, the, you know, if he was like, no, let's just shoot. That's where I messed up. So we shoot. <laughs> it's like a close-up. It's like right here. The wind is blowing, blowing hair in her face. Oh, she no. refuses to, she won't even, she just lets it blow. So it's just like a windstorm in her face. And I'm looking at it like, what the fuck? <laughs> because she's a smart woman. She knows she's making a point. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like stuck in the middle. So, you know, I yelled cut. And she was pissed. The hat finally came in. I should have fucking waited for the hat. You know what I mean? And, um, <laughs> you know, over time, we, we developed a really good rapport. But I wasn't, I didn't know, like, all of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. And she was making her point right then and there, and I got stuck in the middle. Normally, I would wait. I always want my, I want the actress to be right. It's a continuity issue. That means she's not going to have the hat the whole time. You know, we know it's windy, but she was trying to make her point of like wardrobe, et cetera, should have stuff ready for me 
in right. these cases. And it was, uh, I, that was like, I was like, oh, damn, I'm screwed. You know what I mean? <laughs> and nobody was like, oh, help everyone. Just I was just in a sea on an island by myself. <laughs> so that was crazy. Yeah. For me, it's, a, it's an interesting one. So it was my first chance. For me, it's real quick. It's an interesting one. My first show I did was Soul Food. So I was doing Soul Food. And, but I just come from doing like movie stuff. So I was doing more movie stuff. So I'd never done TV before Soul Food. And, you know, and this is something, you know, for a lot of you new folks out there, um, it speaks to the collaborative process of television and how it kind of breaks itself down. I'm, I'm about to speak to that. Um, and what you're about to hear is totally, was totally my fault. But you got to know this going in. So I go from doing movies and stuff and then to soul food, not knowing, never shadowed. So I don't know any of the stuff that shadows will, that, that you learn when you shadow. So I suggest shadowing. So when I say, oh, I never shadowed, I don't say it in a proud way. Go and shadow. I say it in a way that I, I didn't have the opportunity and the things came at me fast and furious. So I was like, oh, I'll just do that. I'll just do this. I'll just do that. Oh, TV show, I'll do that. So I get there. They flew me out to Toronto. Soul Food shot in Toronto. So I flew me out all the way to Toronto. They gave me a nice hotel room, my first episode. So they gave me this big suite. Alicia gives me this big suite and everything. So I happened to be dating this really jealous girl at the time. And so, and that, that, that speaks a lot to, this, to the conversation. And, I, and you'll see why. So, you know, always had to check in with her. Oh, I'm here now. Oh, I'm there now. I'm there. So I never knew what a tone meeting was. So for you folks that are new, go Google tone meeting or watch Pete Chapman's Let's Shoot podcast. And he'll tell you uh, what a tone meeting is and how to deal with them. Because what I'm about to tell you is I did the wrong way. So Felicia did very long tone meetings. And because she wanted the directors to know everything about the show, the backstory of the show, you know, from the movie and how the difference with the show and then how she created the show and then where the characters are going. So you knew everything when you got on set. So you could answer the actors. Because she didn't really have writers on set that much. You know, they would come down, but it really was a director's set. But in order for that to be, you had to know all your stuff. So I get there, you know, she's like, well, you know, she has very full days. And Felicia was always on set. She was writing. So her assistant called and said, hey, so Felicia's going to come by your hotel room after work to start the tone meeting. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'm thinking she's going to come by the hotel room, we chill, whole nine. So she gets there, you know, books and ledgers and everything out. Phone, you know, books, and laptop and all the things. And, you know, so we're sitting down in the living room portion. And because the bedroom portion is a whole separate room. And my phone keeps ringing and it's my girlfriend. Hey, what are you doing? Why are you there? Why is your, why is your show going to come there after work? And then after five o'clock, and I'm like, that's not how this works. I'm going to go. And I go and sit back in there and the phone rings again. And I don't answer my cell phone. And then she starts calling the actual room. So, you know, I'm doing this, trying to do this dance. And the showrunner, that is Felicia D. Henderson, is watching this dance go dance. He's literally watching it all play out. And, and then she's sweet as pie. Would be like, okay, well, are you ready? Are you ready again? You ready? Can we restart? Then we restart. Then I was like, oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm order some food. You want something? Now I'm order some food. I'm like, oh, okay. she's like, okay, you're gonna order food. Okay, well, you know, you know. So I'm doing all these things, and then and finally she's like, and then and then one time my phone rings again, and I go and answer it in the bedroom because she's yelling. So I go in the bedroom, and then by the time I come back out, Felicia's packing all her stuff, she's packing her stuff up, delete. And she said, no, you know, we know, but this finish another time. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go because everything's a lot of stuff going on here. So I'm just going to go. And, you know, and then right as she's getting to go up, 
the, the, the right she's about to go out the door and the room service comes in with food and everything i'm like i think like, okay well okay well i guess i'll see you tomorrow so she's like yeah i'm just gonna go so she leaves and not not 10 minutes later 10 15 minutes later and this speaks to once again people interceding in your life demica her assistant calls and says jeff what did you do i was like what are you talking about I, i'm about to eat and police just left <laughs> she said no 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 this is a tone meeting. Why would you answer? Why were you answering the phone during the tone meeting? Why did you order food during the tone meeting? Why? I was like, wait, what are you talking about? I'm like, because I'm thinking I'm the director. You know, director is king on a movie set, but on TV, it's the showrunner's medium and the writer's medium. And you're really working collaboratively with them, collaboratively with them. But make no mistake, they are your boss. They are your boss. The showrunners are your boss. And, you know, you got to be available. You got to be there. You got to shut down whatever's going on in your life when a showrunner walks in the room and give them 100% of your attention. I was giving maybe 40% of my attention in that meeting. And Demick was like, so listen, Jeff, I was like, oh my God, Demick, I didn't even know because I never shadowed. So I didn't know that was a TV way. And she's like, listen, here's what you need to do. Tomorrow, you need to go get these flowers. Tomorrow morning, stop by this, by this pastry shop and pick this up and then go get some, you know, some locks and bagels. And you get here, you get here at 6 a.m. You'd be the first thing because she ordered, she told me to get your plane ticket back. She told me, you're, you're, you're flying back out tomorrow. And she, literally, she was going to fire me. And oh. literally, I had to go. I literally got up that next morning, went, got the flowers, got the pastries, got the coffee, got the, all the things. Yeah. And I showed up, sitting in her office. I put all the stuff out. And I have my book ready. I take my cell phone. I threw it in my office. And I'm sitting there with a pen and paper hand ready. And then she walks in. She looks over at me. And then she looks back at Demica. And Demica's like looking away <laughs> and she starts laughing. And then she goes and sits down. She says, okay, fine. I'm not going to send you home. And, it, you know, and then we start the, we start from scratch. We start the tone meeting all over again. And let me tell you something. Demica became my best friend on that whole shoot. Her assistant, literally assistants, you know, y'all don't out there, don't disrespect assistants because they can give you the keys to the kingdom or they can sink your battleship. One of the two things can happen. And I, I prefer you try to help them, let them give you the keys to the kingdom and not sink your battleship. Because Demica was like, okay, Jeff, you do it today. Here's what you do tomorrow. Because it was a constant building back up at that point. I was, I was trash. I was basura. I was trash at that point. And I had to build my way back up to, you know, to when, you know, to I was able to get those 22, 23 episodes of the show. But that first day, I was out. I was out of there. So that was my NBA moment, Pete. That was the moment of showrunner coming in and breaking a backboard. Boom. And yeah. I got saved. I got saved by the system. That's crazy. You had a, you was about to have a 10 day contract. <laughs> oh man. It was about, it was about to be bad. To Jeff's point about like, you had to build yourself, build yourself back up. I also feel like I personally have felt like you're only as good as the last thing you've done, whatever that thing you've done. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't ride your laurels on shit you've done in two, three, even six months ago. It's like, who were you here and how were you? And it's so important that you said that. Like, you, you, even though you came as a big-ass director, you had to fucking start at the bottom and work your way up. And nobody cares what you did on that show now mm-hmm. at all. You, no. You're constantly True. like, you know... It's 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 true, hard. but but in that regard, though, Anya, to keep the conversation going, in that regard, it's like Felicia has hired me since then. She's hired me in numerous other shows, she's sure. Quad, and then she hired yes. me in Single Ladies. But like, so I agree with you. It's just about you know you gotta you can't get in your head. Like I could have gotten my head and just been like, 
well, you know what? Fine, I'm going home. If she don't like it, you know, and believe me, I've yeah. seen people do that. I've seen people self-destruct yeah. that way. And right. yeah. I did not. I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to kowtow. I'm going to do life. what I got to do because she, and also it's not even so much a kowtow. It's like she deserves respect. I didn't know yeah. how to, I didn't know what that was. So I didn't know what, she, what, what how, to, how to do a tone meeting. I didn't know, you know, you had to pay attention and all, all these things that were happening. I just thought, oh, they gave me the script, right? So why, what do you need to be here for? Why do you need to meet with me? I got the script. Yeah. So it was one of those things. So it's, 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 it's amazing. And the beauty of it, it's your true. podcast informs a lot of people to stuff like this. Facts. So yeah. I, I beg people to, to watch it. Yeah, no, nah, anybody listen, there's so many people's names that are being mentioned in this conversation that y'all should literally Google, look up, watch their shows because the it's a it's a history of 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 black television and how we got here, but also just there's so many different things that you can take from all these people. And and some of the people we talk about have been on the show. So you can get even more of a perspective, like Millicent yeah. and some other folks. So you guys are are I want to be respectful of your time. And you answer so many questions in one question. So I only have one left. And, you know, we, we are coming out of a, you know, well, we've yet to, I guess we're coming out of it. We're coming out of a strike, two strikes. You know, I, I, I last worked on May 2nd, showed up. They said, you can go back home because I wasn't sure what we were doing. But with our writers on that show were like, there's nothing happening. Personally, I go uh, to Montreal and December, late December to do two, a two block episode of a show. So that'll be back to work for me, but we're all entering a new industry. We got new contracts. We've got a soon to be determined new normal. One thing that I've seen from a few folks that are on shows is that writing writer's rooms have been cut to the minimum. I, interestingly, perhaps an adverse reaction to some of the negotiating points, right? shows that normally would probably have maintained 12 writers or whatever and now six, you know, but what is, what are you thinking about? What are you preparing for? What's your, like, where's your head at as you prepare to get back to work in 2024 in this new landscape of episodic television? I'm trying to convince myself that I would still remember how to do it. It's uh, been, it's been, it's been a long time and I've been really focused in this time off. It's like, what can I do to stay, stay sharp? Is it like studying more movies and TV shows? Is it photography? Is it just trying to find a creative outlet? So for me, I'm just really trying to get my, my head back in the right place. I started in January, top of the year, you know, on the show that I've done before, which is nice, but just, just, you know, regaining whatever, you know, swagger or, or feeling or confidence or what, whatever that thing is that makes us want to be directors, just trying to uh, recapture that so you can go back into that space and be confident to lead a team. It's a great answer. I'll say this. I'm, as you said, they're cutting writers, writers rooms. Every budget is being cut, mm-hmm. including production days. Like some shows that normally did nine mm-hmm. days are now doing seven and they're double up. So just mm-hmm. wrapping my mind around being as efficient as possible and leaning into my, you know, low budget guerrilla style filmmaking because that, has been my bread and butter in a lot of ways and realizing that a lot of people don't know how to do that because they've never had to do it. So knowing how to, you know, get the same type of quality and content in a shorter time frame is a unique skill set. So just kind of leaning into that because, you know, these purses have been, you know, they, they, they get tight 
and everybody's yeah. holding those purse strings even tighter. So having the ability to say, okay, it's cool what the budget is, we're going to be able to work within those parameters has been a thing. But like Daniel said, just, you know, getting back on that horse, getting the sea legs up. I started running again, getting the legs going again. <laughs> like, okay, because we on your feet all day. You haven't been on your feet in months. I mean, this is longer than the pandemic, you know, honestly. That's true. So it's definitely going to be a reacclimation process. But I think it, more so than anything, I think a lot of people are realizing how, you know, how, how much of an amazing opportunity it is for us to make shows and to the, the process of create, creation, I think, it, it was never really taken for granted, but I think now even more so for all of us in whatever department mm -hmm. we're in, we'll hold a special because, you know, we, we know what it's like to not have it for such a long amount of time. So I think, I think I don't know if, if environments won't be as toxic, at least for a little stretch, but mm -hmm. people are going to be happy to be back working. And we'll, I don't know if there's a level of humility because a, a lot of folks got humbled the last couple of months. So Maybe that'll play a part, but, you know, it should be interesting. So true about being fit, Carl. The whole standing and, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, when you're in it, you don't really think about how, because you, when you're consistently doing it, you don't think about the state of mind you're in mentally and physically and until you're not doing it. You're like, oh, wow, I haven't stood on my feet longer than an hour in months. Like, and I'm, no, mm -hmm. I'm normally used to stand on my feet for, 10, 12 hours. And you're yeah. going to bed and a consistent, like, nice time. Yes. And, you know, that's like, all yeah, that you get seven, eight hours of sleep. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. so that's, yeah, it's going to be definitely going to be interesting. If you don't well, have Jeff, Jeff, you asked, what's the question? I said, what's the question again? So, kind of, how are you, in a nutshell, how are you preparing or where's your mind as we get ready to get back to work in, in 2024 I mean, in a changing industry? I think it's interesting. I think I thought, yeah, I, yeah, I thought that was a question. I'm just, it's just a scary question. I just think that, <laughs> like, you know, it, it is because you know all the things that have been going down. You know, you know, like Carl said, you come from the pandemic to the strikes, multiple, and then you have now also while all that was going on, kind of have the breaking down of you know, or, or at least the chipping away at diversity programs and, you know, diversity heads and all that too. So, and I think, you know, a lot of us, you know, you know, and here's the thing, here's the thing. I just want to straighten one thing out real quick. A lot of people will say, oh, diversity, that means you weren't really ready to do it. You just got a chance because you're black or whatever. That's not true. Diversity is based on the fact that we were shut out of doing it. We all knew how to do it, but no one would, would hire us. When they would take the chance on a white male, you know, or a white woman, they would not, well, I don't know if this person, you know, we don't have any black people in our, we only have two black people in our cast. No. Like, like there's some kind of difference between the colors in terms of directing. It, it, so the diversity programs really helped. Because here's the thing, here's the interesting thing about Hollywood. If, you, if you're crappy, if you suck, you're not going to work no matter what color you are. So it doesn't matter. If you come on the set and stink up the joint, you're not going to be asked back to that show. So we're all and other friends of ours that, you know, blossom that circle out of this group, all returning to different shows and invited to shows. There's just so much so there are people on this podcast right now who don't even have it in their schedule to do certain shows. They can't even fit them in. So, you know, and that's because we're good at what we do. But the diversity programs helped us to get in there. 
I remember one time there was a there was a, a, a there was a panel at the DGA, and somebody on the panel was sure name they were talking about diversity, and and the person said, you know, well, I don't want any diversity jobs. You know, I might be from a diverse community, everything, but I don't want a diversity job. I want to I want to get a job because of my merit. And I remember I raised my hand and I said, well, hey, give me the diversity job that you don't want. I'll take those <laughs> because you don't want them. And because any way to get in the door is how you get in the door. It's you once you get in there having having the skill. Mm-hmm. All the things that this, that this podcast just went over that all we all talked about. The skill, the professionalism, knowing the room, you know, being able to pivot. All of the things. And that's how you stay in the room. But with the diversity programs going away, there are going to be a lot of people that are no longer be able to get in those rooms. And it's going to be up to us to, you know, kind of look for those next, the next you know, Dan's and Carl's and Monique and, and Anya. It's going to be for, uh, up to us to look for those next people and try to help them in. It's like what Anya was saying, talk good about people and help other people in because there's enough jobs for all of us. And we just have to make sure we, you know, champion the right person and the, the, the right folks that are going to be able to get in there and then shine and, and do well. Because the, sadly, you know, when I saw all the, during the, you know, break, if you want to call it that, but during the strikes and everything, you know, how they were whittling down the, you know, the diversity things that really scared me. So, I, so when you ask that question, Pete, it, it's a little loaded because I get a little like, wow, so it's what's going to happen, what's going to happen now kind of scenario. And I don't know, really. I don't know. All I know is I'm going to try to keep my head to the grindstone, my nose to the grindstone to keep, you know, moving forward, keep helping as many people as I can help in whatever, you know, Pete, producing director job I get. And, you know, when I see the list, director's list come across my desk, I'm going to add names to it and, you know, you know, try and, you know, cross some names out and add some other names in there and be like, well, you know, first, but, you know, here, here's some, here's some people we can put in there too. I mean, cause you got to do that. I mean, you know, I just want to be real because I love the fact that your listeners really listen and I've gotten calls from the podcast. I've gotten calls from people and emails from people and they're like, oh my God, I'm so glad you were so real on the podcast. Pete, it was amazing. And I love that people will listen and then they'll apply it to what they do. And I think if we're all here giving these gems and jewels, they should listen and they are. So, you know, know that now it may have to do it differently. If you're of a diverse, you're from a diverse community, you may have to do it a little bit differently than we were doing it, you know, right before the, the strikes and the pandemic. So just know that. Yeah. It sucks that we have to have these programs because none of us want to be hired because we're diverse. We want to be hired because we are good and we are good. But you're right. Like we need those doors to get us in there to show that we're good because we're not able to any other way. And it's, it is really important to have those programs intact because like you said, that with the door slowly closing, it's harder to get more great people in and seen. I'm just going to be cold cause I'm, I'm going to go do a show and it's in the Arctic. So I'm looking forward to figuring out how to stay warm. <laughs> well, Pete's going to be cold too. Pete, Pete, you better be, He's going to oh. be cold, too. Pete, you better be ready for Montreal. Yeah, you got Montreal. Oh, look- they have a whole underground city. Yeah. I looked it up on my phone yesterday, like, what's it look like out there? And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's cold. 22 feels like eight? <laughs> what? It's cold, so, man. I, Canada Goose. Hey, this is this is a little endorsement. Canada Goose. Canada Goose. Aurora or Aurora yep. for the heated yeah, vest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the heated vest. I heated just vest, bought those socks. Like, must. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, you got to be ready out here. That tactical gear. 
Um, Neo boots. So that, yeah, exactly. So that's so your that's is that uh, is that all from uh, from the Anya Adams school? Just you're gonna be cold, or you have anything else that you want (laughs) to? What that I'm looking for, like um, I I, I like Daniel. I feel like I I get rusty when I stop, and last time I was shooting, kind of like you. Pete was was in May, you know, that was the last thing I did. I, you know, also with this time, I think we got acclimated to space and like fitness and the whole thing. So like, you know, I'm going to be leaving home. So that's also a thing that, you know, I have a a little, you know, there's a positive and negative to that because, because I love where I live and I love my community here. And, and it's and you know as a journeyman director you're always going and creating new family and the beginning of that is sometimes hard you know when you haven't mm-hmm. been with that family before you know it can be it can be uh, that's another kind of the mental weight of creating your creating your people and your space in that new world that you're going to be in for two months six months whatever it is you know so I am a little bit I, I, I it's trepidation about that you know but I think that it always is like that. Yeah, very true. Mornike, bring us home. Martini. <laughs> Martini. Martini. Mornike um, Martini. Know, I think, yes. I, I, I try to echo a lot of the feelings. I haven't worked since, I haven't directed episodic since February. So it's been live. My last episode was Grey's Anatomy. And I've been going back starting in December to a multicam and to Grey's. So, but I've been, you know, I'm also, you know, a mom and a wife. So I've been juggling all the things. And so just kind of getting back to that routine, a lot of people, you know, on outside looking in don't realize, you know, you, you're, you're leaving your space. You have to be physically healthy, you know, and, and have stamina, both mental and physical. So getting that back together. And I, there's also, I I. I remember feeling a bit sad. It's more about like all the people who were on strike or who were supporting the strike who are trying to break in and and the feeling like it's not going to be still it's not going to be easy and I'm not a pessimist, but it's not going to be easy for them to get hired. You know, hopefully, you know, they did make some relationships, but I'm feeling bad for them thinking, "Okay, now, you know, I'm in now." You know what I mean? And it's like the episode counts are going down, not just the the writing rooms, but the episode counts. And so even, you know, some directors are still looking for where am I going? You know, what is going to be my first episode? So, you know, just a little bit concerned for that. But like Jeff said, you know, always giving back and trying to give opportunities or information on how to navigate to other people. And real quick, I just want to say I was there when Jeff won for Book of Love God, no. at America Black Film Festival. At the Book of Black Film Festival. You were there? And I was yeah, there. You were, you were there. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was so inspiring. And he he was so New York on that stage. He was like, <laughs> it was amazing. But you know, the journey is long. So I think people just need to understand that it's it's never overnight. You know, as much as it might seem that way, it just isn't. Yeah. That was in the well, 90s or early 2000s. Yeah. Yes, well, I, that was it. Well, I love right. it. I, I I appreciate everybody taking the time on a, on a Saturday morning, you know, 
while we, uh, you know, we got food probably about to be warmed up, continue eating from that <laughs> on Thanksgiving on the, meal on the, on the, on the moment we get off. Weekend, Pete. Thanksgiving you know, weekend. nah, y'all are, y'all are, y'all are the best. I, my, my thing I would say, you know, and I say, I always say on, on the podcast, like I'm, I'm talking to myself, anything I say, I'm talking to myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like the community is, is key. And, you know, you know, maybe it's about expanding what we think we can do and pushing ourselves. Right. Like I'm actively thinking of like, well, who are the writers that I know? Is there something mm-hmm. I could be developing with a writer? You know, mm-hmm. because maybe now I can be a, a movable piece uh, that that helps something get made. Or do I need to make a short film? You know, or who knows? Like, there's as as much of it as we have changing in front of our eyes. I think creativity is always going to win. And just like, how can we increase our our the volume and the quantity of 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 content that shows how we view the world and that we're skilled and that we're creative? You know, I think all of us, like we should, you know, do like an anthology film, like for real, like just get, <laughs> mm, you know, dope. one location, yeah. do it like four rooms where like we could each get with a writer and write our own thing and then have a character that's a through line. And like, boom, we all got a movie out that only took 20 minutes of effort from each of us individually. Like, and we should talk more about this, but you know what I, I mean? Love like, I love that. Let's I love that. Like, <laughs> like just like let's create, but you know, I appreciate y'all coming out and 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 closing out this season four. Hang on before oh, this um, is the reunion. You know, this is the reunion. This is a little reunion, yeah. For those, and I'll say it's an intro, but we got Anya episode fifty four that y'all can listen to. We got Jeff episode forty one. We got Carl episode twenty six. And in season five, if you will be so kind, Mornike and Dan, I'd love to have y'all on on an individual episode to really get into it. Um, let's do it. So I'll end this like I always do. Stay safe, spread love and keep creating. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on IG via at Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is produced and edited by the multi-talented cut creator Tristan Nash. Assistant produced by the young mogul Jada George and features the wonderfully gifted Kelly McCreary as our announcer. It's written by yours truly, but I mostly come up with these questions on the fly, which you've probably noticed. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is sponsored by Sweat Equity, so go ahead and get your podcast swag via PeteChapman.com and leave a review on iTunes if so inclined. That shit matters. All right, hope y'all enjoyed that first official roundtable here at the Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman podcast. If you like that, we'll keep bringing them back. I found it to be a, a very pleasurable time. Hey, take some of the weight off of me. We had no questions prepared. I was just kind of freestyling and talking. So I hope you enjoyed that. We'll bring more of those to you in season five. Again, thank you for everybody for your support thus far. 60 plus hours of of me sitting at a mic talking into the void and, and we're still here. So as always, 
I don't know when season five will begin. I have a feeling I'm going to start needing to get those interviews going right after the new year. But follow me at Pete Chapman at Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, and you'll be the first to know uh, when the upcoming drops will be. And I'm wishing everybody a safe holiday season, a very happy new year, a beautiful start to 2024. May all your creative, family, professional, and personal dreams come true. And as always, stay safe, spread love, and keep creating.